Our scripture today is from John 4, 1 through 30. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria, so he came to the Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samarians. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flock drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to be coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, April. I realized I forgot to share during the announcements that you all gave $3,300 toward UMCOR for Ukraine relief last week. And uh, the missions committee actually decided to add $2,000 to that from our general budget. So that's $5,300 from St. Paul's going to help those who are fleeing the war. So thank you for your generosity. If you haven't yet given to that, you still can just mark your offer in Ukraine. Well, several times over the last few weeks, I have fallen into a rabbit hole on the internet. Anybody ever do that? Ever have that problem? The particular, these particular explorations were about extreme endurance events. For instance, there's a woman who is running 100 marathons in 100 days. For 100 days in a row, she is running 26.2 miles, either on the road or on her treadmill. The current world record for women for consecutive days running a marathon is 90. So she's trying to beat the record by a whole bunch. Today, today, March 13th, if she runs a marathon, it will be day number 55. So she's over halfway. All she has to do is run 45 more marathons, and she's going to get there. Oh, gosh. Then this last weekend, I followed along as 40 runners attempted an event called the, Bar the Barkley Marathons, which is an endurance event in the mountains of East Tennessee. And to complete that race, all they have to do is run 100 miles, five laps on a 20-mile course within 60 hours. Now, I know 36 minutes per mile doesn't sound that impressive, but this is the hardest off-road terrain you could ever imagine. And this year, just like many years, no one actually finished. Everyone dropped out before even finishing week four. Now, I'm fascinated by these endurance events. It's just amazing what our bodies can do. But you know, these aren't just physical feats. They require amazing mental and spiritual strength as well. And I just, I always watch these events happen and I think, what is it that motivates someone to train for an event like that? What enables them to devote that much time and energy and effort to get ready? What is it that keeps them going in the midst of, of those events when every single fiber in their body is screaming at them that they should stop and rest? I don't know the answer. But I think about that desire, that desire they have that must propel them forward. And I wonder, have I ever wanted anything in my life as badly as these endurance athletes want the achievements or the accomplishments that they're chasing? Have you ever wanted anything that badly? If you have never wanted to run 100 marathons in 100 days, congratulations, you're like 99.99% of humanity. But if you've never wanted that, what, what is it that you have wanted deeply or want deeply in your life? What would you say that you have desired the most, that you are willing to pursue it with persistence and commitment? Another way to ask that question would be to say, for what have you most thirsted in your life? What have you most wanted? What goal or hope has been in front of you that thinking about it, dreaming of it, it, it's almost like a physical thirst that you can feel that you desire it so much. For what have you thirsted? As Barb showed us in the children's sermon, thirst is what's at the center of this encounter we have with Jesus for today. 
Here in the season of Lent, we're considering together a series of stories where people get up close and personal with Jesus. We're seeing what they learn by having these face-to-face encounters with Jesus, and then we're considering what it would be like for us to have an encounter like that as well. And last week, we talked about a guy named Nicodemus, whose story of meeting Jesus happens in chapter 3 of the Gospel of John. Well, today, we turn over to chapter 4, and we have a story that's often called the woman at the well. Because guess what? Jesus meets a woman at a well. Yes, good. Okay, good. We're on board. Now, the fact that what happens, that it happens at the well, that's what sets it up to be a scene about our thirsts. But before we get to that, I want to take just a minute, a minute to notice a few things about this story because it's a really great story. Now, the fact that these two stories, Nicodemus and the woman at the well, the fact that they happen back to back in the gospel is no accident. The writer of the gospel wants to play them off of one another. He wants us to notice how different they are. First of all, Nicodemus, he gets a name, Nicodemus. The woman, we never learn her name, which honestly, that's a big problem in the whole Bible. Men have their their own first names a whole, whole lot more than women, and and there are just a whole lot more stories about men than there are about women in the Bible. But that's a topic for another sermon. The point here (laughs) is the fact that we know his name, which means that Nicodemus was probably pretty important. Somebody was standing in the community, someone who might be known by his name. The woman, she's nobody at all, nobody important. Okay, Nicodemus, he comes to, to Jesus by night. You might remember last week I said that that's a signal to us as the reader that he's not totally on board with Jesus. He still sits in darkness. He's not a believer yet. The woman, Jesus meets her at the well, not at night, but in the middle of the day at high noon. There are a lot of commentators who have tried to suggest that the woman was at the well at noon because she was ashamed of her life and she was trying to hide from the rest of town. She was going to the well when nobody else would be there. Maybe you've heard that interpretation yourself. And maybe that's true, but here's the thing. There is nothing in the story. I want you to hear this. There is nothing in the story that indicates to us that she is actually ashamed of her life. Okay? She has been married five times, but we don't know why. We hear that, we read that she's been married five times, and we think, oh my gosh, what is wrong with her? But that's our judgments. We think she must be a horrible wife, or she must be a tramp, or a trollop, or something. But we're putting our assumptions into the story. The scripture doesn't say at all why she's been married five times. So consider this, maybe she's been widowed that many times. Or maybe she's been really desperate and really vulnerable And she keeps marrying these horrible men just to survive, and they abandon her. Yeah, the man she's living with right now is not her husband. Maybe he's taking advantage of her, or maybe he is her deceased husband's brother. Right? It was the law that widows could go live or would go live with a brother-in-law to raise up children for their deceased spouse. The point is, we don't have any idea the circumstances that caused this long line of husbands, but we can say that it probably was not sinfulness on her part. Why? Because nobody talks about sin. There's no conversation about sin in this whole story. 
Jesus doesn't call her a sinner. He does not forgive her sins, which you might remember he was pretty keen to do. She doesn't ask for forgiveness. She simply is amazed that he knew her life story. When Jesus says, hey, I know you've been married five times, and this guy that you live with now isn't your husband, she doesn't feel ashamed. She feels seen. She gets excited that he knows who she is and sees her life and its fullness. So I just want to invite you today to let go of this idea that she's some kind of bad person who's being rescued by Jesus. Nothing in the story tells us that. So when we see that she comes at midday, we remember that coming in the light, the light in John is a signal of her response to Jesus. It's a signal of her faith. Okay, the woman, she is a Samaritan. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was an important insider. She, an outsider to the Jewish community. Not only an outsider, Samaritans were enemies. They were apostates in the eyes of many Jews, worshiping God in the wrong way, in the wrong place. That's why there's all this talk in the story about where should you worship God. There's tension, there was hostility between the two groups of people, and, and the fact that Jesus is hanging out in Samaritan territory, that's a big deal, and she knows this, and so she says, what, what's up? Why are you, a Jew, asking me, a Samaritan, for help? Another contrast between them, Nicodemus was a man, she was a woman, okay, right, obvious, that maybe not a big deal, but the disciples sure thought it was a big deal. I love this part of the story. It says, just then his disciples came, right, they had been buying food, and they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want, or why are you speaking with her? Those disciples, <laughs> they knew better than to ask Jesus what he was up to. I imagine them walking up and being like, whoa, he's talking with a woman. But then like retreating back amongst themselves and trying to decide who was going to be brave enough to go up and talk to him. Like, Andrew, you go, you go. No, 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 no. I did it last time. It's James' turn. <laughs> okay. So in about every way we can notice this encounter with Jesus and the woman at the well, it's in stark contrast to the conversation he had with Nicodemus. You remember in Nicodemus, he talks about being born again. Well, here, he offers the gift of life, but a little differently. He offers to it to her as living water. And living water in Greek, that can be understood as what we would call in English running water. Right? Running water. And the woman, at first, she misunderstands what Jesus is offering, and she thinks he's offering her some fresh running water, like from a stream or from a spring, instead of that still water that's in the well. That's why the, the story says, Jesus said, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And then the woman says, Sir, you have no bucket. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Which, okay, we have to say, just like last week, this is kind of a dumb question. You have no bucket, right? Where's your bucket, Jesus? Well, he's not offering her literal water. He's offering her himself. He's offering what he has to offer, which is the love and the grace of God, the joy of God. He's, he's offering her a way to quench her thirst that go far beyond her physical needs. He wants to help her. He wants to help us quench our deepest thirsts. Now, how does that happen? 
but with a relationship with him, with a relationship with God, with accepting the salvation that God has given to us without price. And, and I mean really accepting it, like letting it change, change our lives and our minds, letting it transform all of us. I mean, letting the love and the acceptance and the approval of God, let it, letting it replace all the other things that we quest after, all the holes that we feel in our lives, all the wants or the aches inside of us. God's love can come and soothe our deepest needs. God's grace can heal our deepest wounds. God's love can satisfy our deepest longings. And you know what? She gets it. She gets it. This is the best part of the story. You know, Nicodemus, he just sort of slipped away in the night after meeting with Jesus. We don't hear from him again. But this woman, she does the opposite. She gets what he's offering, and she gets so excited, she runs to town and tells all of her neighbors about Jesus. She tells them all. She says, come and meet this man. I think he might be the Messiah that we've been waiting for. She becomes an evangelist. She bears testimony. You guys, she's a preacher to the whole town. I love this woman at the well. Now, whenever we read the scriptures, eventually we have to return to us, right? We learn all we can about the story we marvel at what Jesus does for the person in the scripture, but ultimately we read the Bible to shape and change our lives. So the question is, what does this story teach us? And there are a lot of great questions for us to wrestle with in this story of the woman at the well, but the one that I want to hold up for us today is, for what are we thirsting? For what are we striving? What are we longing for? What are we chasing? And are we on a path to actually satisfy that thirst? Or do we need to confess that we're thirsting for something and chasing after it, forgetting that it's something that only God can satisfy? Like, are we working hard to find approval from somebody in our lives? A boss, or a spouse, or a parent? Are we going around trying to be seen as good enough in the eyes of others? Have we forgotten that the only approval that we really need is from God, our maker, and God already loves us before we've done anything or accomplished anything? Or are we trying to reach some achievement? Like, do we have some goalpost that we've set out for ourselves to let us know that we finally arrived? My brother once had a boss whose clear goal, he just said this, was to be in the top 1% of salary earners in the United States. And at the time, he needed to get to like $400,000 or something in salary. That's what he was chasing. But you know, there's no achievement in the world that's going to make us more valuable in the eyes of God. There's nothing that we can do that's going to provide for us what God has already given to us. The joy, the hope, the peace that God gives, it's, it's not about meeting some milestone. And nothing that we chase is going to satisfy us like the love of God can. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have goals. 
goals can be healthy. They can help us do amazing things. As long as we remember that those goals, those milestones, those things we're chasing, they're not the things that define us. They're not what give us our identity, and they will never satisfy our relationship with the one who made us, the one who loves us without end, by God. It was the theologian Augustine who said, Our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, O God. This is the stream of living water that Jesus is talking about, a spring bubbling up to eternal life, a gift of hope and joy that cannot be quenched by what the world gives. Friends, today, let's give to Jesus our deepest thirsts, trusting that he's the one that can give us what we most need. Thanks be to God. Amen.